Welcome to today's edition of the Author's Corner, brought to you by KNEO 91.7 FM, The Word. I'm Roberta Foster, and today I welcome Professor Nancy Piercy to Author's Corner, and she's written the book, The Toxic War on Masculinity, which is published by Baker Books, a division of Baker Publishing Group, and she'll tell you more about how to find the book at the end of the program. I'll tell you just a little bit about Nancy. She is a best-selling author and speaker, a former agnostic. She was hailed in The Economist as America's preeminent evangelical Protestant female intellectual. Her work has appeared in The Washington Post, Washington Times, and many other publications. She's currently a professor and scholar in residence at Houston Christian University. Nancy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Roberta. I appreciate it. So your book talks about the criticisms of men uh, beginning much earlier than most of us think. And so what's this idea of toxic masculinity and where does it come from? Yeah, good. I'm, I'm glad you started there because what is distinctive about the book is that I am, I am an apologist, right? I teach apologetics. And so my main goal is to uh, critique the secular world on this issue. Most people expect, in the Christian world, uh, they expect a book on masculinity to be more like uh, a devotional book. Uh-huh. So what I do is I show that very idea of toxic masculinity goes back so much further than most people realize. Most people think, oh, 1960s, second mm-hmm. wave feminism. No, you have to go all the way back to the Industrial Revolution. Hmm. Um, what happened be- before that, men worked with their wives and children all day, right, on the family farm, right. the family industry, the family business. And so there was a very close relationship between a father and the rest of his family. Mm-hmm. In fact, the, the ethos, the cultural expectation for men at that time focused much more on their caretaking role. In fact, here's a surprising historical fact. Most literature on parenting back then addressed the father. You know, today, if you go to a bookstore, uh, they're all written for mothers. Yeah. But no, they thought the father was a primary parent. So how did we lose that? In the Industrial Revolution, you know, it took work out of the home. So, of course, men right. had to follow their work out of the home into factories and offices. And for the first time in American history, they were not working with their family members, mm. people they loved and had a moral bond with. Instead, they were working as individuals in competition with other men. And that is when the language started to change. Hmm. People said, oh, men are starting to become individualistic and self-centered and egocentric and greedy and acquisitive. That's the language of the 19th century. Okay. <laughs> you know, look out for number one, uh-huh. making, and making the career the, an idol. You see that already in the 19th century. People said men are making their career into an idol. They were losing their connection to their Christian roots. So really, if we want to understand when it started, that's when it started. And of course, that suggests the solution, too, right? If it started because mm-hmm. men were disconnected from their family, obviously, the solution has to be, can we find ways to reconnect men with their families? And so I have a whole chapter on that as well. Right? So how can we tweak the workplace, maybe? You know, I interviewed a lot of men who said they were very willing to pay the daddy penalty. You know, they wouldn't, they might not advance as quickly. They might not get the next raise mm. as quickly, but they wanted the extra time to be with their family. 
does the decline in the importance of our Christian faith in today's society, it kind of helps to propel this issue of toxic masculinity along because uh, we don't have as many men in church. Absolutely. This is one of the main themes of my book, is where did the notion of toxic masculinity come from? It's because society has secularized. So I'll give you one, just one example. I give uh, several stages of you know, how American society became more secular and how it led to a more negative view of masculinity. But one of the stages that most people don't think of is the rise of Darwinian evolution. We tend to think, well, that's a science issue, mm. right? Fossils and genes mm-hmm. and so on. No, it had a huge impact on our culture's view of masculinity because as soon as Darwin wrote his book, The Origin of Species, Darwinian thinkers began to say that the men who came out on top in the struggle for survival uh, would be the men who were rugged, ruthless, barbarian, brutal, uh, savage, and even predatory. So they began to say, you know, uh, instead of urging men to live up to the image of God in them, uh-huh. they began to urge men to live down to their animal nature, that that was uh-huh. their true authentic self. They called it the beast within Right. So that was a huge, a huge uh, step. In fact, in fact, evolution continues to have that impact. Not long ago, there was a book, a best-selling book. <laughs> so a lot of people were reading it. It was called The Moral Animal. And it said, point blank, the human male is a possessive, oppressive, flesh-obsessed pig. Mm. Giving him a book on how to have a better marriage is like giving a Viking a book on how to pillage. And I thought, you're kidding. You know, our culture is accepting such a demeaning view of men. So that's, if you wanted to know where the Andrew Tate phenomenon comes from, you know, a man who who brags about how he's a, well, he literally says he's a pimp and that he produces pornography. And yet many young men are looking up to him, you know, because he also tells them to get fit, you know, and to to get a job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's a highly immoral model of masculinity, and Darwin, Darwinian evolution is a big part of why that happened. Wow. Wow, that's some great insight. <laughs> well, we've got much more to talk about with Nancy Piercy regarding her book, The Toxic War on Masculinity, which is published by Baker Books, a division of Baker Publishing Group. And you're listening to Author's Corner. I'm Roberta Foster. When I had been listening to you talk about back in the 60s and things like that, um, somebody had made the comment about how um, the sitcoms of the 60s started making men look like dummies and um, all of that. And it kind of demoralized men and elevated women as being the stronger person in the family. Is that part of that toxic masculinity issue? Oh, absolutely. I'm glad you put your finger on that, yeah. One, one of my sons loved the Berenstein Bears books, and I don't know if you've read those, but the father is always the incompetent idiot, mm. you know, the bumbling idiot. Um, yeah, so why, why are men dropping out of fatherhood? Partly because they're not being respected. They're right. being mocked and ridiculed in media, in movies, in mm-hmm. advertisements, in animations, and so on. And... So what I do in my book is I show that that is a huge cause of toxic masculinity because raising the next generation, uh, having a close relationship between father and son, 
is the key to creating a healthy biblical masculinity. One psychiatrist put it, puts it this way, we're not going to have a better class of men until we have a better class of fathers. Mm-hmm. And so, so I'm, I don't want to just scold fathers, though, right? Because that, that comes across negative as well. Right. So in my book, I, I appeal to the self-interest. I show that men actually benefit from becoming fathers. Mm-hmm. There is a nest of neurons in their brain. It's called mm-hmm. the dead, some people, some psychologists call it the dad brain. There's a nest of neurons in the brain that do not, do not develop unless a man becomes a father. Huh. So they literally experience brain growth. And also, we've always known that mothers have an increase in oxytocin when they have, uh, when they have a baby. Oxytocin is con- considered the bonding hormone mm-hmm. like, because it gives mothers a little biochemical boost in being more attached to their, to their newborn baby. Mm-hmm. It turns out fathers have an uh, increase in oxytocin as well. Hmm. And so they, too, are being biochemically primed to be involved parents. I mean, Jesus says that even non-Christians are good parents, right? He says, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Mm-hmm. So even non-Christian fathers have that instinct. And the, the most recent data I found, which was fascinating, an anthropologist wrote a book in which he said, even during his wife's pregnancy, all nine months, a man's oxytocin is going up. So God has biochemically primed men to be involved, loving, engaged fathers, and they actually are much happier when they are. Mm. Well, one of the things that you bring out in your book is that uh, people often accuse evangelical Christian men of being oppressive patriarchs prone to abuse, but you make the surprising claim that they test out as having the lowest levels of abuse and divorce. And so share with our listeners about that. Yes, so this is the final reason I decided I had to write this book. So I was reading in the social science literature and finding out that evangelical men do very well. They test out as a top. Mm-hmm. And this is so contrary to the media narrative. The media sure. narrative is that if you believe in any form of male headship in the home, that will turn you into an overbearing, mm. oppressive, tyrannical patriarch. I'll give you just one quote from the literature. Um, this was the co-founder of the Church Two movement, which followed the Me Too movement. Mm. And she said, the theology of male headship feeds the rape culture Uh. that we see permeating American Christianity to today. So the social scientists, like this means psychologists, sociologists, they were reading these accusations and saying, where's your evidence? You're making Mm -hmm. these charges, but where's your data? So they went and did the studies. And in my book, I cite some dozen studies that show, and they found out that uh, evangelical Christian men who are really authentic in their faith, who attend church regularly, mm-hmm. test out as the most loving and engaged husbands and fathers. Their wives report the highest level of happiness mm-hmm. with their husbands' love and affection. Mm-hmm. They spend more time with their kids than other fathers, 3.5 hours more than secular fathers in terms of both shared activities, like uh-huh. church youth group, and in terms of discipline like enforcing bedtime or setting limits on screen time. Evangelical couples divorce at the lowest rate of any major group in America, 35% lower than secular couples. Hmm. And contrary to the media narrative, 
they have the lowest rates of domestic abuse and violence of mm. any group in America. And I, I was reading this, and I thought, nobody knows this. <laughs> this is not out in the, in the public domain yet, right? right? Even churches don't know this, because I had to go digging in academic journals to find it. And so this is one of the reasons, well, the main reason I wrote the book is because even in churches, we tend to have, um, even Christian men feel beaten down. At my yeah. school, I teach at Houston Christian University. When I told my class I was writing a book on masculinity, one of my male students shot back, what masculinity? It's been beaten out of us. Yeah. I thought, okay, even Christians need this message. You know, and it's not just a pep talk from a religious leader. This is solid, empirical right. data. This is evidence-based findings that Christianity really does have the power to reconcile the sexes, as I put it in the subtitle of my book. Absolutely. You know, it's just so encouraging to hear you um, declare these things so that, you know, some people need it in black and white in, in a, you know, in a factual way in order to say, well, okay, okay, and now I have permission to go out and be the man God wants me to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so uh, some people have asked, well, you know, why didn't you do... Um, why didn't you interview evangelical leaders? Well, the reason I didn't is because secular people's accusation was an empirical claim. They were saying, believing in male headship, like the New Testament teaches, Ephesians 5, right? Husbands, mm-hmm. love your wives as, lo- as Christ loved the church. Um, but that turns men into these overbearing patriarchs, you know, tyrants. That's an empirical question. So I looked at the social science data an empirical answer. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I don't have a lot of Bible in my book. I do. But what's unusual about it is that it also looks at how the social science data is supporting the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, if the Bible's true, it should not be surprising right. that the findings of science support it. And, and in fact, the findings do support the Bible. Amen. Well, that's a great place for us to um, have to segue away from our conversation, but I want um, you to give us a chance to find out, Nancy, where people can learn more about the book and the things that you're doing to teach that uh, godly men are the right example. Right. So you can buy my book at Amazon, or if you prefer, uh, you might order it from christianbook.com. My publisher very kindly redesigned my website, so it's nice and colorful now. NancyPiercy.com, and Piercy is P-E-A-R-C-E-Y. So NancyPiercy.com, come over and you can browse my other books. You can leave a message. I don't have time to answer all of them, but I read them. So come on over to NancyPiercy.com and say hello. Fantastic. So one more time, I've been talking to Professor Nancy Piercy about the toxic war on masculinity. And as she mentioned, the subtitle, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes. And uh, Nancy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Roberta. It was good talking with you. And to our listeners, if you missed any part of today's interview or would like to hear it again, you can find it on your favorite podcast provider or KNEO.org. So join us again next time on Author's Corner. I'm Roberta Foster. Never miss your favorite show again. For more than 30 years, KNEO has been bringing you great Bible teachers on a local and national level. And now we've made it easier than ever to hear from these great men and women of God. KNEO's entire lineup is now available to listen anytime, anywhere through our website 
Go to KNEO.org slash podcast to see all the options. You can search for programs alphabetically, or you can select individual categories like culture, kids, leadership, or music. We even have a category just for locally produced programs, so you can hear from pastors and spiritual leaders located right here in the four-state area. And all these resources are absolutely free. KNEO's mission is to get God's Word in front of you, and this is one of the ways we do it. Give it a try today. Go to KNEO.org and click on the podcast tab to get started.